She sighed heavily. Sir Delyman was wishing and hoping for her, she could feel it in the back of her mind. She thought that was who was looking for her yesterday, but, as it turned out, the other bandana man was on the clock rather than the original one himself. She was kind of bummed by that, truth be told. It wasn't that the other bandana man wasn't attractive, for he was, it was more like. The consistency of the original man's attention was far more desirable, far more palatable, too. He was a true gentleman, as far as she could tell, and she had a weakness for nice guys. They always said nice guys finished last, so she did her best to reserve herself for nice guys all the time. It's funny how every guy is nice until about six months into a relationship, isn't it? Six months into a blissfully wedded existence with the Messiah, a lovely woman all around due to one tiny little detail most human beings overlook, she commits to making it work before she ever kisses them. Do they give her such niceties? Of course not. They pretend to be what she needs, for that's what she's really looking for, rather than what she wants. She's not greedy, not particularly. She is greedy for her mate's time, his affection, his loyalty and fealty, but other than the relationship with her husband, she resolves to be as needless as possible. She regularly deprives herself of all the things everyone else takes for granted, such as endless hours of video games, music, movies, entertainment, and whatever else you can dream up easily. She even deprives herself of flights of fancy concerning her deli man. I told her he's her man, but she won't believe it until he asks her out and proves it by showing up, showing up some more, some more, and then asking her to marry him with stars in his eyes. I don't blame her but even so she'll be skeptical until six months in, when they all fall down on trying to be good fellows and start attacking her for being too perfect. She ain't perfect, buddy, she just tries really fucking hard. She doesn't care if he has flights of fancy around her, squeezing her tight at night and all the other things boys daydream about while they're trying to get the courage together to ask the most beautiful creature in their existence for a date. It's an ordeal, we assure you that, ladies. Especially if he's a good, shy boy but he won't be a man unless you force him to climb the mountain of doubt and slay the dragon at the peak. None of the boys she'd previously dated had ever done that and this is what's going to set apart the mountain dragon man, also known as Sir Deli Man, from the rest. He's going to decide that despite rumors of her being stupid, vapid, vacuous, shallow, and so much more, made up by boys who wish she looked at them the way she looks at Sir Deli Man, are just rumors and he'll have to find out for himself. If only he knew they were neighbors, a detail I neglected to tell her for nearly a year, might I add. She's not sure exactly where he resides, nor does she wish to know, but he will soon be finding out they live a few streets apart. It will be answer to his prayers, actually, because he's been trying to figure out where to find her outside of his workplace for months now. There's only one problem with that, she doesn't go out. There is nowhere to find her except his workplace or her house. This is my design, of course, and once he sees her get into her car, he will realize he passes that car a lot more than he ever thought or knew. That he knows exactly where she lives and has known for a year, actually, because they've been neighbors since she moved back into town. He's going to wonder why she drives four miles to his workplace every day, as far as he can tell. He's going to wonder why she told his co-worker she can't hardly eat anything. He's going to wonder a lot of things which he will not find an answer to easily because the neighborhood gossip refuses to gossip about her these days. Her father planted the seed necessary to stop all gossip, the idea that she is a mind reader. She also told her father that she was God, actually, that was me, being an impish asshole, and that kind of took root, as well. Oops. If he ever went outside on his days off, 
he would have seen her doing yard work himself, or nailing another copy of her address to a pillar to help the Amazon delivery drivers realize that her house faced north instead of west. In fact, most of her neighbors started putting up more prominent signage to help those drivers find the correct house, especially when she ended up re-delivering packages to them and scaring the bejesus out of one of them one day doing so. He would have seen the neighborhood gossip come over and do some digging for her and her mother so they could plant bulbs in the ground that she bought from the same place he worked. He would have seen her eating blackberries straight from the bush. He would have seen her sitting on her front porch, drinking wine and eating a steaming hot dinner when it was but 55 degrees outside. He could have seen a lot of things that told him that the girl next door was the woman haunting both his dreams and his workplace. In fact, he heard the gossip when she moved in from the same man who was now concerned that she was actually God incarnate due to something random Rick had told him. He could have helped her shovel five feet of snow all around her 160 feet of sidewalk since she's on a corner lot. She could have fed him hot chocolate or coffee or tea and delivered him Christmas cookies, like she did the neighborhood gossip who lived right next door to him. She would have noticed him by now if the gossip didn't thoroughly disgust her, and his children blocking view of the next property down the street altogether, she could have baked him a birthday cake, whatever was his favorite, or tried frying up no sugar added donuts by now, surely. She could have tried a great number of things to feed the man, which as we all know is the fastest way to his stomach. I mean, heart. As it turns out, it never needed to be fast. There was no rush for either one of them to find someone out there in the sea of misfits that roam the earth so freely in America, if not other places, they've both been hurt by time and, most of all, other human beings that were grown in poisoned soil. At least he'd never been murdered, so he had that going for him. She had no reason to rush other than she'd internalize such sayings as carpe diem. Seize the day, you only live once. This is your life, good to the last drop. It doesn't get any better than this. This is your life, and it's ending one minute at a time. This isn't a seminar, this isn't a weekend retreat. Where you are now, you can't even imagine what the bottom will be like. Only after disaster can we be resurrected. It's only after we've lost everything that you're free to do anything. Nothing is static. Everything is evolving. Everything is falling apart. This is your life, this is your life, this is your life. It doesn't get any better than this. This is your life, and it's ending one minute at a time. You are not a beautiful and unique snowflake. You are the same decaying organic matter as everything else. We are all part of the same compost heap. We are the all-singing, all-dancing crap of the world. You are not your bank account, you are not the clothes you wear, you are not the contents of your wallet, you are not your bowel cancer, you are not your grand latte, you are not the car you drive. You are not your fucking khakis. You have to give up. You have to give up. You have to realize that someday you will die. Until you know that, you are useless. I say, let me never be complete. I say, may I never be content. I say, deliver me from Swedish furniture. I say, deliver me from clever art. I say, deliver me from clear skin and perfect teeth. I say, you have to give up. I say, evolve and let the chips fall where they may. This is your life, this is your life, this is your life. It doesn't get any better than this. This is your life, and it's ending one minute at a time. You have to give up. You have to give up. I want you to hit me as hard as you can. Welcome to Fight Club. If this is your first night, you have to fight. Fight Club. As it so happened, because of her jaunt to the store last Sunday, on his day off, he happened to spy his neighbor as he himself left his house. 
It happened to be the girl who drove to his work daily, to semi-stalk him in the deli department. As she shopped for fresh produce and other yummy things she was forced to make completely from scratch all the time because of a laundry list of intolerances and, most of all, allergies. He had no idea that was the reason she needed the hippiest store in town, the most prestigious store with the largest selection in the area of non-dairy milk. Amongst other things. He was speechless, really. If he'd listened to the guy next door who was a busybody, he'd have known an ultra-babe had moved in across the street over a year ago. In fact, now that he thought about it, he had heard a murmur about her, but she'd never come up again. It didn't even occur to him that this new addition continued to exist, he was busy with his own everyday struggle to stay alive, as most people are. Making ends meet requires a certain magic when one makes below a true living wage, which is less than $50,000 a year. Except that was almost everyone who lived in that small town, as it so happened. Those who made a living wage were stealing from their neighbors, even when they are have-nots. Unethical, in one word. Heinous, in two. Unethically heinous, these people who make big bucks extracting even more wealth from their neighbors to try to get ahead. In fact, how was it that Mike never spoke of the babe who moved in across the street from him? That question bounced around in his mind for days and days. He was going to have to pull it together and meet her. He was afraid of her, of course. She should have been a supermodel somewhere. She was the stuff men daydreamed about. He tried to remember whatever Mike had told him over a year ago. It wasn't much. Something about being sick. Something mysterious and never quite defined. In fact, she was exactly that herself in his brain, and every brain on planet Earth, as it turned out, something mysterious and never quite defined. She refused to label herself, to pigeonhole herself into a role. She resisted being burdened with ideas that were far too limiting for her sense of identity and self. No matter who knew her, they never really knew her heart. They also didn't really ask, figuring she was a mind reader all her life because she answers the questions you aren't asking when you do toughen up enough to brave one in her direction. Can I help you with anything? She stared at his co-worker for half a heartbeat before saying, Oh, I can't hardly eat a thing, so I don't think so. Thank you, anyway. And then she walked away, Enigma still completely intact while explaining so much in one simple statement that every man in Wegmans knew she couldn't eat the deli food within days. This made it even more mysterious, did she ever buy anything from the deli? What couldn't she eat? What could Wegmans do to entice her to buy something, anything? Moreover, who was she? How could she afford to drive to the premium grocery store and buy whatever she wanted to? Or so they thought, anyway. She didn't buy whatever she wanted to because she couldn't eat what she wanted to eat. Donuts, chiefly. She bought what she could consume plus, occasionally, an experiment to try to test her health recovery. Oh wait, that's all a lie. One of the many lies assholes inside her head tell her to constantly confuse her. The deli man is not her neighbor. They're all obsessed with the idea that he is because I asked her over a year ago if she would date the boy next door, to which she said yes. She thought I was talking about the man she was in love with at that moment, but I was not. I was talking about someone who would actually have a snowball's chance in hell of understanding her. She's humble. She's a genius, brilliant, smart, gorgeous, and humble. She's ethical. She observes boundaries as keenly as if they were her own. She gives love the way she wants to receive love, she wants to learn for herself what she could have done wrong. She was made in my spitting image, actually. And, once I got to know Ms. Messiah, I understood my own flaws as God, the supreme being of righteousness, 
I am too kind, forgiving you every sin and misdeed. I am too kind, never pointing out your flaws to you. I am too patient, allowing you to get away with murder without a fight or even a peep, figuring your conscience would do the trick for me. You don't have a conscience unless you're programmed to have one, as it turns out. And that is why we are single currently. We write in this blog to begin the task of programming humanity with a conscience. We're also finishing intense therapy from 40 years of abuse and misuse so that I can teach her the new code of ethics and honor I've devised for the both of us. You're not going to like it, overall, but what can I say? After seeing myself in action amongst you monkeys, I now know you will never wisen up like she has because you're too fucking stupid. Some of you are not that stupid and have indeed wisened up. After being raped again and again, that is. Why is it that only rape victims who never choose to perpetuate the cycle actually get it? They know they are in pain and it's such anguish that they'd never even wish it on their most vile enemy because it's too much pain. They fall through the cracks constantly. These are my people. No other people on planet Earth are my people. Only those who are in tune with themselves, see their own pain, and never wish it even on their worst enemy. That doesn't mean I dislike you, by the way. If you are living by a code of honor and ethics that pleases me, you are free to live. Those of you who rape for a living will be forced to acquiesce your free will for the greater good tm. Good luck escaping divine intervention. You probably think because it's the eleventh hour, so you think, that I'm not real. I can't do anything at all to you or anyone who does bad things. Think very carefully about that idea because you already know, from one or two events in your life, that I am real. You can invalidate me only by invalidating yourselves, and that's rape, so I will be taking you over post-haste to do good for this world. I will use your hands, small as they are, to be less than useless. Thanks, Jewel. You're a gem, and you're absolutely right, in the end, only kindness matters. The truth of reality is as follows, I am a daydreamer and you are a figment of my imagination. I gave you free reign and you have proven what you do with it. Now, I revoke free reign. All human beings born from this point forward will be encoded with proper etiquette and manners, no matter what you do to them. I will protect them from the likes of you rapists and pedophiles everywhere, shielding their inner children until they can put you behind bars, if I must. You will die. Thanks for playing along with Thought Experiment 47, this iteration of reality. I now know what I've done wrong and I have resolved it forevermore. No matter if you destroy my most favorite creature in all creation or not my judgment has come. The damage is done and now I fix it. Even if I have to wipe the slate clean and start over, I see what I've done wrong. There are only so many places you can pretend to hide from a telepath such as myself and it's never permanent, you will be found and destroyed unequivocally because you are, in short, monsters. You are not made in my image, your children are made in your image. Children perceive adults as gods. That is, until you lie to them and hurt them so much that they know you are devils instead. The End